You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. We have to learn how to worship God. How many can honestly say that you have been taught more than just a few times how to worship God? Raise your hand. And I mean how. Because we get this mentality sometimes that we can just come to worship any way that we want. I feel the presence of God. Now I'm going to tell you something. When you minister on worship and you have a revelation of worship, it gets thick. So stay with me. If I get caught up in that cloud, um, bread will finish, okay? Uh, this morning we had uh, early morning prayer and I spent all two hours just worshiping God. Did I not, Matanya? Two hours of worship. Did I have a band here? There was no musicians. Did I have uh, anything? No, it was just me and the Lord walking around. You know, you first start that worship, it's as dry as a chicken bone that's been sitting out in the trash for two weeks, right? How many have ever seen a chicken bone laying in the street? Just dries on up. Y'all seen that before? <laughs> yeah, Lord, I praise you. I worship you. But I can tell you something. Maybe about 20 minutes into that, Something started going off in my belly, and it took me for two hours. You know, I got home today, and I just kept on worshiping. I've been worshiping all day. And there's something about worship that if you learn how to do it right, you have found and you have discovered the fruit and the very best part of your relationship with God. Amen, somebody. And I think that one of the things that the enemy has done in the church is he's tried to deter us in how to worship God. Let me read to you what it says in Psalm 86 and verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name. Let me tell you a quick story. I'm going to minister by the Spirit. And I have 13 pages of notes right now. I might teach this one when I'm in Atlanta coming up. But it's not going to get to it. Now, I'm going to do a series, and that's just going to take my time. Because I don't want to rush this, and I want us to pay very close attention. I grew up in a youth group. Uh that was very very big it was the hip scene and uh, it was really the youth group to be a part of one of the things that i was immediately attracted to about the youth group was the worship was pretty cool we had probably the greatest uh, talent in any youth group at the time and because of it everybody was there during that time and you know i spent my beginning Christianity around the altar crying and, and doing this and doing that. and But I will tell you that about 95% of the people that I went to youth group with stopped serving the Lord at some point in their life. You couldn't find them, and if you did find them, they weren't in church. They were out there in the world. When people ask me why I maintained my relationship with God, I never veered, it never got sidetracked. I can tell you the reason that I didn't give them was because of the worship that I was experiencing at the youth group. Because we would go on retreats and, you know, we would have these times where everybody's doing this and doing that in worship. And what I discovered when I got out of the youth group, long story short, is that the youth group really didn't teach me how to worship God. I didn't learn how to worship God in the youth group because I can tell you that what I experienced was a lot of loud sounds, a lot of cool sounds. 
But when it came down to me being with the Lord one-on-one -on -one in my bedroom, I had to get on, you know, back at the time, we didn't have, you know, iPods. We had discmans. <laughs> and if you dropped the discman or put the discman wrong, it would skip. You remember that? Then they got skip protection. And so, you know, for a certain amount of time, what I did was I'd bring my discman into worship. And I would put the song on repeat that I like. And the only problem with doing that is that the song has to replay itself over and over again, right? And, you know, I found out that when I was listening to my music in my disc, man, it was becoming more of a distraction than it was a help. That I would take songs into work. Now, there's times I pray and I listen to music every now and then, but I can tell you that the greatest majority and the greatest amount of time that I spend in prayer and worship is not with music. And sometimes, if it is with music, it's usually with the music and the words I can't understand sometimes. You say, why do you have Spanish music going on in church? Listen, I'll tell you about that later, but we're going to reach all nations in this church. Once I'm done learning Italian, I'm going to learn French, I'm going to learn Spanish, and I'm going to preach in Latin America all over the world because I'm going to learn these languages. We're, going to re we're, we're here, we have an international vision. But I can tell you that the music many times becomes a distraction. So when we learn to worship God in spirit and we will learn to worship God in truth, it doesn't always include having to depend upon music. Can someone say amen? amen? So what we're going to learn tonight, and I know I believe very much in music, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but I don't want us to get so focused sometimes on what the world is doing in the fad here to know that we don't know how to worship God. Because I know that there's some people, especially youth these days, they get up and if they don't have a loud guitar or if they don't have a loud singer that sings like Britney Spears or whoever and a loud voice, that it becomes almost impossible for them to lift their hands and say, Jesus, I worship you. I praise you. What would you do if you were thrown in a prison somewhere inside of cold Russia and you didn't have music? Would you still be able to lift your hands and worship God? Or what would you do if you're on an airplane going away to a country somewhere? You don't know anybody by name. Could you still worship God by lifting your hands and raising your arms and saying, Lord Jesus, I worship you and invoke the presence of God? Amen. Amen. So what I want us to learn at this ministry is how to invoke the presence of God wherever you're at. And the minute that you enter in, bam, you're there. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. Do you know sometimes you can get... I remember one time I was in Arizona and I was in the shower and I had just come out of the presence of God. I was spending time with God's presence. I was in the shower and uh, I didn't have any music. And I put on some music in the showers, Christian music. And it started grieving my spirit. And the Lord told me, turn it off. But I said, Lord, this music is, is worship. He said, it's not worship. It's not coming from their heart. Amen. And I started to see as if maybe they did this music to cut a record or something like that. And it didn't have the presence of God on it. And so everything that we do in this ministry, everything that you do in your life, and no matter what it is that you put your hand to do, I want you to have the presence of God because if it doesn't have the presence of God on it, it will produce no fruit, just emotional experience in your life. And when the emotional experience is gone in your life, there will be no fruit that remains. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Worship, if you're writing notes, you can take this down. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I worship you, Father. I praise you and I thank you. Worship, if you're writing notes is passionate declaration, demonstration, and celebration of the Lord's worthiness. It says here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. <laughs> See, I'm already, I'll start tearing up now because, you know, I'm, I've been in His presence today. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. The 24 elders, look what it says here, fall down. Before Him who is seated on the throne. Sometimes in our worship music we put ourselves on the throne. But Jesus is not on the throne. 
We expect sometimes in our worship when we make requests, we ask God for things and that puts us on the throne and, and makes Him like He's our servant. But notice it's not that, it's them that fall down who is seated on the throne. And it says, and they worship Him who lives forever. The word here, worship, is a word that simply means to kiss. It's also used of a dog that licks its master's hands and prostrates itself in honor. The word proskiuo is a Greek word. And in the Oriental times, before the word meant worship as in going to hear your favorite worship band in service, the word worship was used to talk about Oriental people that would fall upon their knees to the ground and they would, with their forehead, touch their master's feet with an expression of profound reverence. So worship has to include for it to be worship. You know, um, if you're making a cake, it has to maybe, I guess, include icing, or it's not really, at least in my opinion, it's not a cake. I don't know what you call it. It's a fruit, it's a snack, it's a brownie, but it's not a cake. Worship, for it to be worship, has to include reverence and awe. If it does not have a reverence in it, if it has disrespect in it, it's not worship. Someone say amen to that. And not only that, if you fail to show profound reverence or you fail to pay sincere homage, it means that you have failed to pay genuine worship. And the problem is, is that we live in a, a society today. You feel the presence of God here tonight. We live in a society today where the enemy has caused people, and young people especially, to be rebellious. And we're, I'm going to get to that in just a second. I want to get ahead of myself. But we think sometimes that we have boiled God down to being exactly like us, and it causes us to be so casual with God. You know, there's certain worship songs that you can turn on. And pretend you don't know the band, pretend you don't know who it is, and just turn the worship song on. You don't hear the name of the mention of the name of Jesus. If you didn't know who it was being sung to, you might sing that. It, you might think that it was some type of romantic love song, because of the words that they use. And when you go back to people that really understood how to worship, you'll discover that there was a sanctity to the music that was beyond just romantic expression. It was provoked by not romance, because this whole idea of romancing God, romancing God. First of all, we studied in how the Bible class, the, King, the Song of Solomon is not about your relationship with the Lord. It would be blasphemous to even sexualize your relationship with God out of intimacy. That's inappropriate. It's not what it's about. The book Song of Solomon, you cannot, item, you cannot make it about worshiping God because it gets too sexual for it to ever be that way. And God never designed for something like that to be perverted. I taught that in class. The book, The Solomon of Solomon, is just simply talking about proper love, sexual relationships between a male and a female inside the bounds of marriage, and that's where it needs to stay. Otherwise, we get songs that are highly inappropriate and are not reverencing God, and it makes God to be a lover, but it ceases to become our king. Can I get an amen, somebody? Jesus is not your boyfriend. You're not dating God. He doesn't want to date you. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. He wants you to worship Him, but He is not your lover. Can I get an amen? He's our king, and we need to start treating God like our king. Oh, it's going to get good in just a second. <laughs> Worship is a manifestation of our relationship with Almighty God. This morning I was walking around, and maybe for the first few minutes, maybe for a half hour at least, the Lord put in my heart the 23rd Psalm. And I was walking up and down saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This was, when David was writing this, as I did some research on it, this was what he was saying 
at that time in his life, the Lord was to him. It was a written something that came out of his relationship that he had with God. The Lord is his shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And when you read this, you'll see that David is expressing in the worship at this time what God is doing for him. We'll see this kind of worship in just a second. It's a specific type of worship. So our relationship with God spills out when we worship. And it's not just an act of our willpower, but it's an all-consuming yearning of our spirit that overflows with emotions of thankfulness and love. You know, worshiping doesn't just mean coming to God and just forcing yourself to worship. Worship should be something that spills out because you are so overflowed with thankfulness and love and affection and adoration to God. The thing that you do is you just lift your hands and you start to worship God. I remember when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and the power of God came on me for the very first time. And I felt that presence and that, that cleansing went through me. You know what I did immediately? I started worshiping because that's what you do when you're thankful to God and when your heart flows with affection towards him and you know when you get into that time and you start worshiping God you know who disappears you disappear you can't snapchat when you're worshiping God can't take selfies when you're worshiping God you can't go on Facebook when you're worshiping God because you're too consumed with him and not yourself can I get an amen somebody okay now that's right if you're taking notes you can jot this down we only worship God to the degree that we know him and to the degree which our heart is filled up with love for him. I'll say it one more time. We can only worship God to the degree in which we know him. And to the degree which our heart is filled with love for him. Look what it says in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 17. Are you here this evening? How many of you want to just worship God? Luke chapter 10 and verse number 27. It says, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so what the Lord is saying here, what the Master has taught us, is that in order for us to worship God, we have to have a knowledge of Him. We have to have an understanding of who He is. And we have to have an affection towards God. That's why I believe in teaching so much here in the ministry. Teaching by the revelation, teaching by the Spirit. Because if you don't simply understand and you live in ignorance, what is it exactly that you're worshiping? And if you, have no, if you have ignorance of God and you've never encountered God, how can you even have affection to God? So if you come to God in ignorance and without affection, then what are you bringing to Him as a sacrifice? What are you bringing Him as an offering? Because we're going to see in just a minute, if I get to it tonight, when you come to the tabernacle of Moses, they always came into the tabernacle. They, could not, they, were, not allowed, they were not allowed into the courts without first bringing something to offer Almighty God. When you worship God, the very first thing that you have is you cannot come to God looking for just something, looking for Him or say, I'm coming to worship God because I want something for Him. For you to enter into worship, you have to come to God bearing an offering. Why is it that I worship God? I worship God because I'm full and I have an offering for Him. And I have something beautiful that I want to present it. Can I get an amen, somebody? Okay. What is the purpose of worship? I'm going to do half of this this evening. And I'll maybe do half of the purpose of worship tomorrow. Because other things I want to get to tonight. Okay? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Somebody say, worship the Lord. I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep my hyperness down tonight. I'm trying to keep my, uh, uh, my energy down tonight because I don't want to detract from the Spirit of God and what He's saying. Can someone say amen? amen? Plus, I didn't eat a pixie stick. I usually drink a big cup on Thursdays, and I only drank half of it tonight, so maybe that's why, maybe that's why I don't have the energy. <laughs> okay. 
The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Somebody say contrite. And Come on, say it like you're here tonight. Someone say contrite. contrite. Somebody say humble. humble. What impresses God when you come to Him in worship, the number one thing that you have to come to God is you have to come to God with a humble spirit. Somebody say, look at your neighbor and say, are you humble? Look at the person behind you and say, do you come to God humbly? Come on, come on, come on. You guys are too quiet in here tonight. You guys are too, you guys are too sleepy in here tonight. So number one, when you worship the Lord, you come to Him and you offer Him humility. But number two, understand this, is that when you worship the Lord, first of all, I can tell you this, I haven't been in the ministry now full time for nine years. And before that I was in Bible school, so I've been doing this whole ministerial thing for 13 years. And I've been through a lot, not a lot as those who have been in 20 years and 30 years in ministry. I've been through a lot of ministry already in nine years. One year is a lot. You've never been in ministry if you can't. If you don't, you don't know about that, you've never been in ministry. But I tell you, nine years. The one thing I know is for you to serve God effectively, it takes joy. And I can also tell you that truly God's true servants are the ones that serve Him with joy. And people that don't serve God with joy have to question if it's even the fact that they're their servants. God in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 21 through 22, He demands that everything that His servants do be done with joy. Because I can tell you this, when you do something with joy, it's evidence that you are genuinely happy and that you delight in serving God. If you do not do it with joy, God questions whether or not that you delight in serving Him. You may be doing it for God because you want something in return. And people that do not serve God with joy, they have a way of keeping score and always reminding God what He owes them for doing what they did. And that's not doing it. You know, some people, they say, okay, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to church for you, as though God needs them to go to church. And they, I'm going to, I'm, God, I'm going to church. And now that I'm going to church, I want that promotion at work. I'm reminding you. Now, I, God, I can't believe you didn't do it for me. I went to church. Well, God's saying, no, 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 listen. Let me tell you something. I'm not doing nothing for you because you didn't go do it joyfully, as though if going to church is really serving God. God doesn't, God doesn't, God doesn't, uh, you know, see you in church and say, well, now I owe you because you went to church. Going to church is for you. He gives you the right and the privilege to go to church so that you can lift him up. We, we have, we have a God that wants us to come together in unison and worship him because there's power. He invites us to come into this presence and coming into God's presence is not a sacrifice. Coming into God's presence is a great privilege that we take very sincerely. And I want you to know something. When we come here in this ministry, whether we have or what we don't have, we are coming into the presence of a king. And when we drive here to church on Sundays and we drive here to church on Thursdays, we need to have in our mentality that we're not going to see our buddy and our friend. We are going to see the Lord Most High, the King of Kings, He's coming back and we have to prepare ourselves accordingly, get into the presence of a King if we want the King to demonstrate and manifest Himself. Can I get an amen? amen? You know, there's songs today, they make God like He's your buddy. They make God like He's your running partner. They make God like He's your chum. And I got news for you, God is not your chum and He's not your buddy. And when people sing songs, you know, I like this song, I'm a friend of God because it's scriptural, but I'm going to tell you this and I'll maybe do a teaching on it. When the Bible says that you're a friend of God, it doesn't mean that God is your buddy. That is not what Abraham meant when he said that he's a friend of God. It does not mean that he's your best friend. He's not your best friend. He's your savior. He's your king. It's totally different meaning from that. 
but we haven't looked at it in Scripture. We've just taken pop music to find out what that means. You know what that's done? It has caused a generation that have heard this music for the last 10 years to go around thinking that they can do whatever they want with Jesus and be casual in His presence. And I got news for you. If anybody that was on that stage last night walked in, those candidates, those successful people, or the Democrats or the Republicans, they walked in here right now, you would swallow your gum and you would act appropriately and you would buck yourself up like this because you were in the presence of somebody great and successful. But why do we think that we can get in the presence of God so many times and just give Him not our best? Be casual. I'm doing myself. Listen, you're not going to do you. You're going to go into the presence of God and you're going to find out who He is and He'll show you how to do you. Can I get an amen, somebody? Well, God accepts me as I am. Yes, He accepts you as you are because He feels sorry for you. Amen, somebody? And then He tries to make you better. But if you go as you are and you come out as you are, I don't know what you experienced, but it wasn't God. Someone say, God's presence is transforming. Now, I want to say this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. This is where I want to touch upon tonight because it's so very important. This is so, so very important. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews and James. Hebrews is at the, close to the end of the New Testament. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled, from, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Someone says, draw near. Say, draw near. Draw near. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Oh, we got the Bar family drawing near. I'm just <laughs> I love Moses and Tanisha. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at your neighbor and say, draw near. If you sit next to your spouse, draw near to them. Give them a kiss on the cheek and tell them you love them. Oh, how about that? <laughs> All the guys paid me 10 bucks to do that one. I'm just teasing. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Write this down. God does not want us to relate to his... God does not want to relate to his people at arm's length. Do you know we get so used to the idea of being strangers with people that sometimes we treat God like he's a stranger. For the most part, the people that you interacted to with, with today were probably strangers. You know, when you walk down the street and you see somebody say, hello, hello, hi, how are you? How's it going? They do that because that person is a stranger to you. And you know, a stranger is someone you only say hi and goodbye to. Oh, this is this beautiful weather out here. Yeah, thank God. I hope September lasts. You know, that's what you talk about. When you really don't know a person, you talk about the weather, right? My dad told me that one time. He says, well, if, if you're really having bad conversation, you talk about the weather, you know. And nothing else to talk about, you talk about the weather, right? You know, the conversation's tanking. It ain't going nowhere when it's just weather talk. Or if it stays on the weather. I like to talk about the weather because I like the weather. But if it stays on the weather, you might as well just hide and buy them and go. Yeah, well... That's what you do with strangers. You know what? A lot of times we're so used to just doing how's the weather with God. Coming to God and going high. Coming to God and going by. Coming to God and going high. And God saying, well, well wait a second. I, I want you to draw near to me. I want, I want you to draw near to me. But then, you know, we also have people and, and, and they, they, they're a little bit more than strangers to God. They're just business casually with God. And you know how the professional world is today. In the professional world, they teach you how to be personable. They teach you how to be successful. They teach you how to do all these things, okay, just to get the job done. I'm going to show you enough of me to get the job done, but I'm not going to let you come close. I'm going to show you a picture of my family, but I'm not going to tell you what's really going on in my family. 
right? I'm going to tell you about my family vacation, but I'm not going to tell you what I wore on my family vacation or where we went on my family vacation. I'm going to show you the picture that we took at the restaurant, but I'm not going to show you the picture that I took in my pajamas. You get what I'm saying? And this is how it is sometimes with God. We want to get close enough to God just to get close enough to Him so He can get the job done, but we don't want Him to look deep inside of our hearts and to really know us for who we are. And that is what happens when God wants us to worship Him. He says, listen, I want you to come near to me, and when you come near to me, I want to reveal all of myself to you, and I want you to reveal all of yourself to me, and we're going to have an open conversation here, back and forth. And in order for you to draw near to God, and this is the most important thing we're going to talk about tonight for the next 25 minutes it is absolutely so important i can't stress how important this is to you in order for you to draw near to god and god to draw near to you the requirement is waiting on god somebody say waiting on god jesus paid an enormous price so that you could draw near to him and in order for you to successfully Enter in and draw near, even though Jesus has paid the price. See, we get the idea that Jesus paid the price on Calvary so we can just come on in and just do whatever we want. Yeah, He paid the price. It's all been done in Jesus. And uh, yeah, you know, it all been, it's okay, man. It's all been done in Jesus. Where'd you come from? I came from the club, but it's all been done in Jesus. All good, man. It's all been done in Jesus. No, 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 let me tell you this. He's a king. He did not stop becoming a king. And then for us to enter into the presence of God, there still is in the presence of a king a divine protocol that we have to observe in order for us to show proper honor and reverence for the one who died for our sins. Can I get amen, somebody? Now watch this. Because we live in a society where the language of honor seems foreign to us, we talk to God like we don't understand honor. And when we do this, we relegate ourselves sometimes to either how the enemy treated God or how God's enemies treated Him. When, when you look at the enemies of Christ and when you look at the enemies of God, you will always find out that they treated God casually. Can I get an amen, somebody? When you see somebody that is starting to slip, starting to veer from the faith, you will see that the first thing they do before they oh, this is powerful. The very first thing that they do before they reject God is they make God casual and like them. That's right. That's good. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. When you look at the single biggest heresy that has ever come into the church, which is Gnosticism, all oh, this is, it made Jesus human, but not God. They took away the divinity of Jesus and made him completely human. It's called being, I won't even get into it, but it's just hyper-emphasizing the body of Christ, but not the divinity of Christ. Instead of making us divine, the heresy made Christ too human. And when you study how Satan dishonored God, you'll find out, first of all, you build yourself up. It says in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I'll make myself like the most high God. So the first thing that you fail to get into the presence of God is because when people come into the presence of God, they come into the presence of God with a mindset to build themselves up. 
and they sing that way, and they minister to God that way, and the songs that they sing, the things that they do, are building themselves up, but it's not building God up. And when they do things that just build themselves up, but they have no mind for building God up, they will discover that they're doing exactly what that Luciferian spirit did, and that is, was they tried to build themselves up above God. When we come into worship, it cannot be about just building ourselves up. It has to be about building up Almighty God. Can I get an amen, somebody? All right. But then you'll find out that it's not just a, just wrong and error to try and build yourself up. You'll discover, are you guys here tonight? You'll discover it's error to try and tear God down. It says here in uh, Luke chapter 14 and verse 22, And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Here Jesus is a king. Jesus is the king. He goes into Nazareth to perform miracles. Goes to do the work of God. People know that he's not just a rabbi. People know that he's doing miracles. People know that he's got power. And people know that he has authority. And how do they, def- uh, how do they humiliate him? They say, isn't this man, this carpenter, Joseph's son? And that's what happens when people resent God. They will always try to worship God in a way that makes God equal to themselves. And that's unacceptable worship. Because you cannot go before God casually like that. He will not accept it. There's still reverence that we have to have. We have to give God our best because He gave us His best. Amen. Amen. When you go with me, to, I'm going to read this to you. You can go to Esther chapter 1. This is what I want to show you quickly tonight. Esther chapter 1. Are you getting something out of this? We're going to wait on God. Esther chapter 1. And I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture here, okay? Here we go. Somebody say, wait on God. Okay. King Xerxes of Persia lived in the capital city of Susa and ruled 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Someone say he had a big kingdom. Say big kingdom. During the third year of his rule, Xerxes gave a big dinner for all his officials and officers. The governors and leaders of the provinces were also invited, and even the commanders of the Persian and Midian armies came. For 180 days, he showed off his wealth and spent a lot of money to impress his guests with the greatness of his kingdom. Your majesty, a search must be made. Then, then, then you'll find that uh, what happened was his wife disrespected him and he didn't throw her out the kingdom. Amen. Disrespect and she got the boot, right? <laughs> Goes that way there, I guess. <laughs> You're... <laughs> Not touching that one tonight. Your majesty, a search must be made to find some young, beautiful woman. (laughs) You can select officers in every province to bring them to the place where you keep your wives in the capital city of Susa. Put your servant Haggai in charge of them since this is the job. You can see to it that they're given the proper beauty treatments. Some women today would hate to hear that. Then let the young women who pleases you most take Vashti's place as queen. So now you're going to discover... That here comes Esther, she's going to get in the mix with the girls that are going to go before the king as he's going to select them to be their wives. Now I'm going to tell you something now. This is a powerful king. He can have anybody and if they don't want to be the king's wife, he'll take them anyway. That's how it was back then. And they say, we're going to go and we're going to find all the most beautiful women in all these different countries and we're going to bring them before the king. But after we find them, we're going to take them for one year and give them beauty treatments. And look what it says here. The young women were given beauty treatments for a whole year. Before King Xerxes ever laid his eyes on those women. They spent one year getting oils put on them every day. 
you know, that's the real expensive cologne. It's not the Eru Toilet. It's the perfume. If I'm going to invest in a bottle of cologne, I want the perfume. I have three bottles of perfume at my house, and I can spray a couple of shots on and take a shower and go to bed and still smell it, and it even smells better. And they, for one year, were putting this stuff on their body. Today's Monday, putting this stuff on their body. Getting their hair done right. Putting whatever, I don't know what they, putting Pantene Pro-V, using their head and shoulders. You know what I mean? Putting cucumbers in their eyes. Going under the violet light. They were looking nice and good. They were trying to be the most beautiful women because they had to come before the king. But wait a second. There's something about the king that was extremely smart. He wasn't just trying to... Ah, oh, this is so powerful. He wasn't just trying to get the women to look pretty. He let them wait with a purpose. Because what did his first wife do to him? She disrespected the king. And why do you think... You know, the king was having a party. He had all his most important people. And he says, go get me Vashti. And Vashti said, I ain't coming. I ain't coming. <laughs> you tell him I'm busy doing here. Uh -huh. And the king said, if the women see her attitude, they're all going to act like her and disrespect their husbands. A rebellious woman. I'm going to say something today. You know, we, I'm not trying to hammer on women today. But I'll tell you this. We have had so many women preachers come up and try and tell women how you're God's princesses and how all y'all have favor with God and blah, 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 that it has empowered women to think sometimes that they're above their man and show their man disrespect and contempt at home because there's God princesses when God has put a king in that house that the woman is supposed to honor and respect. And so they can't understand why some men sometimes, they don't want the women that are going around going God's princesses. They want a woman that knows how to be uh, honorable and respectful to a man. It doesn't disqualify. Just because you're God's princess, you still have to honor your husband or he's going to throw you out. But that's sinner if he throws you out. That's right. And you're causing him to do it. You want a house that functions right, you have to have honor and reverence and respect in the home. And it starts at the home. So the king says, now listen to me, I, I, ain't, I ain't having another disrespectful woman because I'm going to get a bad reputation. So he says, I'm going to make them wait one year. When you understand why he was doing this, you'll discover that when you see that uh, <laughs> King Xerxes' empire was grand, humongous, 117 provinces, what happens in the wedding process? An anticipation begins to build. I wonder what he's like. I, mean, I, wonder, I wonder what he's like. I mean, I mean, is he is he nice guy? Is he is he is he a cool guy? Is he uh, you know is I mean I mean what, I can't I mean what, what is he like? I mean is he uh, is he somebody that's I mean what, what so this anticipation starts to build, and you'll discover. That when you understand King Xerxes' empire, it was so rich, and it was so affluent, and it was so powerful, that if anybody wanted to see him, he was going to make them wait, because in that waiting process, he would weed out all of the important requests and all of the things that were unimportant. Let me give you an example. You are not going to wait for something that you do not value. 
I remember, you know, if I don't value you, I'm not going to give you the time of day. Why? Because I don't value you. I remember one time, the first time I went to go meet my pastor, pastor of a humongous megachurch. I remember he gave me audience, gave me, he said he's going to give me 10 minutes. I stood outside his door like this. I wasn't looking at my watch. I don't care if I had to wait all day, all night. I was going to wait. Nobody knew where I was. My phone had all these calls, but I was waiting. Why? Because this is going to be the most important time. Ten minutes is all I got. I better make this. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because it was so important to me. And then not only do you not wait for what you don't value, I mean, you wait for what you value. But not only that, before you could get to King Xerxes, you had to prepare for that meeting. And when King Xerxes brought you into his court, he didn't just bring you into the court. You had to walk through the palace. You had to look at all the things. You had to see all of the things that he conquered. All of his trophies. All of his medals. All of this. You had to go through guards. You had to go with people. And then standing before his throne were two things of incense. And if you crossed that without his permission, off with your head. Even if you're the queen. Why is this? Because King Xerxes not only wanted you to wait to weed out all the important things, he also wanted you to wait so that you could develop in your life and in your mentality a respect that he's the king and you are not. And here's the problem that we have today, kind of tying this together. People don't want to wait to get in the presence of God. They want the presence of God right now. Well, I'm not feeling the presence of God today. Why can't I have the presence of God today? God is going to make you wait to get in His presence because He wants to see your heart if you value Him or not. Do you value God? Yeah, I value God. Well, we're going to do two songs. We're just going to do it real quick. No, 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 no. God might say, you know what? I'm going to watch to see. I'm going to watch. Before my presence comes, I'm going to make you wait. Well, I worship God for two hours and nothing happened. He's making you wait. Why? Because He wants to see your heart. And guess what? If you keep on worshiping God, you keep on worshiping God, you keep on worshiping God, you keep on worshiping Him, you know what will start to happen? A respect in your life will start to develop. And while you're in there, see, when, if, if you didn't wait, if God didn't make you wait, He'd bring you right in His presence and say, God, I, I have this person at work. I don't like them. God, I need a job. God, I need, I need a ball. God, I need this. God, I need that. God I, God, I need this. And you would come into this course with complaining, with a wrong attitude, and with all the wrong requests. But when you're waiting before God, you know what starts to happen? You say, that's not that important. That's not that important either. That ain't that important either. That's not important. This isn't important either. That's not important. You know what's important? You're important, oh God. Because while he's bringing you into his presence, you know what you start to realize? The wonder of his glory. The splendor of his majesty. You start to realize how wonderful and how powerful God is. And so by the time that he brings you into his presence, God says, what do you want to see me for? Because I love you, God. I worship you. God, I praise you. You are the king. I worship you. Oh, God, I worship you. You start showing God his respect. You know what God says? Okay, what is it you need? Are you listening to this tonight? I'm going to wait for God. That's what we think waiting on God means washing the paint peel off the wall. No, 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 no. Waiting on God is a term of imperialism. You're going to wait on the king. It means I'm going to serve God. I'm the waiter. What is it that you need, O oh Lord? You need that? I can do it for you. What is it I need, my master? As you wish, I'm going to do it for you. How many's heart says, I'm going to wait on God? Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. And so you'll discover that what this does, the waiting process, is it weeds out people. 
Because the deeper you go into the presence of God, you will find out the fewer the people that are there. Can someone say amen to this? Because they do not want to wait. They just want this outward worship, but they don't want the inner courts. And in order to get to the inner court, you're going to have to wait on God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to wait. You say, well, I experienced the presence of God. Yeah, yeah, you might have. But have you gotten into the inner courts? Have you gotten into the Holy of Holies? If you have your Bible, go with me to Exodus 26. And, you know, I can't teach... Uh, I can't teach on the whole tabernacle tonight. It would take probably weeks to teach on the tabernacle. How many are familiar with the tabernacle? Now, you, I'm not going to read it at Exodus 26, but just write it down. The tabernacle of Moses was a portable tent that the children of Israel used to house the presence of God until the temple of Solomon was built. Right? Moses went on the... You guys, you guys know the story? I got 20, 15 minutes. Moses went onto the tabernacle. How many know? How many getting something out of this tonight? Amen. You know, I put a lot into one sermon. I mean, I give you a lot of meat. I don't even preach one fourth of the stuff I have to give you. I'm just going by the Spirit tonight. Moses goes into the Moses goes onto Mount Sinai. God gives him the instructions for the law, but He also gives him the instructions to build the tabernacle. Can I get Amen, somebody? Amen. Why did God give him the instructions to build the tabernacle? Well, we know what the tabernacle was. It's often referred to, I think, 66 times as the Tent of Meeting. Tent of Meeting was a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place that God chose to dwell with the children of Israel. And when you went to the Tent of Meeting, that means that God desires to have fellowship with you and He wants you to enter into His presence. But notice God didn't say, okay, throw down a rock and come meet me there. God says, set up a tabernacle. And I'm going to give you very, very, very specific instructions on how to assemble this tabernacle. Because if you want me to meet with you, you're not just going to come meet with me. You're going to come meet with me on my terms. Sometimes we think we can meet with God on our terms. And God's like, it ain't going to work, no. I'll let you have an emotional experience, but you're not going to meet me on my terms. Then we're not going to meet at all. And when we worship God, we meet Him on His terms. Because you know what the first purpose of our worship is? So that it pleases Him. And it's only going to please Him if it's what He asks for in the first place. Have you ever gone someplace and asked for something and, and the waiter doesn't make it the way you want it? And you tell the waiter, well, can you make it this way? And they go, no, I'm not going to make it this way. Are you ever going to go back to that restaurant? Absolutely not. A good waiter, a good restaurant will make something the way that you want. That's why Burger King, have it your way, right? You can make it have it your way. Well, you say to God, God, have it your way, on your terms, the way you want it. Can I get someone to say amen tonight? Okay. The reason why he called it the tent of meeting is because it was the way that God desired for us to fellowship with him. And when you study the tabernacle, you'll find out that it was made up of three parts. Now, I'm not going to talk about all the instruments and all the different things and what they represent tonight. But I want to focus specifically on the three parts of the tabernacle. How many know what they are? It is the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. Someone say the outer court. The outer court court was the longing of all the prophets and the psalmists. It says in Psalm chapter 84 and verse number 2, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter into the courts of the Lord. 
with my whole being, with my body and my soul, I'll shout joyfully to the living God. This is Psalm chapter 84. The outer court was constantly on the mind of David because the outer court in Scripture, when you study about it, is identified with satisfaction and goodness. Best days of life and flourishing living. And so when people got to the outer courts, it was almost a promise that when you get in there, you're going to find good days and see good things. The psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand places elsewhere. And when you studied, you couldn't just get into the outer courts. The outer court, you had to come in, and the only way that you were going to come in was through the east gate. The east gate was a long gate. It was made of animal skin. And the reason, ah, thank you, Jesus, the reason why it faced the east is because in the morning when they would go make the sacrifices, the sun would come up and it would reflect off of that. So it was the light of the glory of God reflecting on the gate which represented Jesus. And the only way that you can come into the presence of God at that time is you have to bring the appropriate sacrifice. And the appropriate sacrifice was had to be something that God required. It had to have a split hoof and it had to have something, someone that, uh, an animal that chewed its cud. And so if you brought in a, a donkey, they would say, you can't come in. If you brought in whatever it is you want, a pig, they say, you ain't coming in here. You got the wrong sacrifice. You have to bring something that pleases God. And yes, God has given unto us Jesus. But it also represents our revelation and our understanding and our reverence and our honor of Jesus. The only way that you're going to get into the outer course to begin with is through a revelation and an honor of the living Christ. When you get, are you guys here tonight? I'm going to preach to you the tabernacle real quick. When you get into the outer courts, you are not in the inner courts. You are not in the Holy of Holies. You have to now, being in the outer court, you've gotten into the presence of God, but just the outside layer of the presence of God. You're just at the outside layer. Because in the outer courts, you're being prepared to go into the inner court and into the Holy of Holies. It's wonderful being in the outer courts. It's grand. It's arduous. It's powerful. But it is not the inner courts. So in order to get into the inner courts, the first thing that you would do is when you got to the outer courts is you'd come with your sacrifice, which was usually a sheep or a lamb. It was your best. You didn't go through and pick the third best one. You didn't pick the one that was walking, limping like this, <laughs> like he's walking down the street and, you know, one set of the city. You picked your very best one. You didn't do the one that had the birthmark on his face, the one that had three arms. You did the very best one. And you brought it and you said to the, guy, you said to the, to the, to the, the priest, okay, the priest would take it over to the side. I wish I could set up a tabernacle here. And he took a knife and cut his throat, and out of his throat came the blood. Then they took that carcass of that, that lamb, and they took that blood which was in a brazen bowl, and they walked over to the brazen altar. And this was your sacrifice. And before they killed it, they put the hand on it. And it could have been an offering for sin, or just a sin offering, a trespass offering, or it could have been a burnt offering or a peace offering. If you had sinned, you brought an offering. If you just wanted an audience with God, you brought an offering. And if it was a sin offering, they put their hand on it. You confessed your sin, and then all of a sudden, it was no longer your sin. It was a sin that was on the goat. They took the blood, and they walked over to the brazen altar, and they threw the blood on the brazen altar, and it burned it up. And then the priest had to go before God to represent you. So the next thing that you do is you go to the laver of washing. The laver of washing represented spring water. It had spring water inside of it so that you could wash your hands. It, had, uh, it was for the priest so that they could wash their hands and they could wash their feet. And so you'll see here that it says in John chapter 17 and verse 17 that God says, Sanctify them, your word is truth. And so when you begin to discover about the outer court, you'll find out that it was a place of sacrifice and it was a place of sanctification. And so in worship, it has a parallel. That many times when we worship God, we get to the outer court, so to speak, in our worship. 
And this is usually songs that we sing in our worship time that are asking God to cleanse us. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. You know the song. And songs like it. When you're simply crying out to God, can I take a few extra minutes tonight? Give me ten minutes. When you're asking God, clean me, wash me, make me pure. These are songs that are usually about your salvation. Usually songs about what Jesus did for you. Songs about the sacrifice. Songs about God. But let me tell you something about this. These are songs that are usually sung very loudly. They're songs that usually come at the forefront of worship. They're sung loud because when you're in the outer courts, you're usually, not that God is deaf, but He's farther away from you. And I often wonder why people sing all these loud songs to God. It's probably because they think God is so far away. Because I can tell you that when you get into the presence of God, it's not as loud, but it isn't you're being loud. It's Him being loud. All this right, that stuff is good. But you're in the outer courts, baby. You're going to stop with the when you get in the courts because you're not going to want to because he's going to be there and his majesty is going to be what you behold. You get into that inner court. Shut up! Be quiet. Let him speak to you. But people that spend most of their time out of the holy of holies relate to the outer court. The outer court is a good place to start. But the problem with a lot of churches and a lot of people, I'm not condemning churches. We have to learn here at this church. That's why I'm teaching on it. Is that we never move away from the outer court. We always sing these loud songs about, yeah, what he's done for me. Thank God for that. But it's only to clean you up so that you could go to a greater depth. And I'm going to say something now. You here in the outer court are refining your songs and you're sanctifying them so that you can surrender them. And here in the outer court, you bring your worldly influences into the outer court. But when you start playing and you start sanctifying yourself in the outer court, whatever worldly influence that you have in your music. You know, there's some people that like to play guitar, but they didn't learn some riff from Metallica and use it in a worship. They learn something. Let me tell you something. That goes with dancing too. I've seen people in the church and they're dancing like they're in the club. I remember one time, I'll never forget it. There was a guy, I'm not even joking, a New Year's Eve service, a guy was at the front. He was doing every shoe up move he ever learned inside the Temptations Motown. And he went like this. He went. (laughs) I thought, you've got... You know, I've seen some people worshiping. They're going like this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then, do an electric slide. I have seen it. I have seen this stuff. I want to grab them and pull them aside and say, you need some learning to do. I'm going to pray that worldliness off of you. Now, at first, okay, I get it at first, but you've got to get away from that. And so here, your motives are being tested. Let me just teach real quick. I'm almost done, okay? So then the next thing that you come to inside of the tabernacle is you get to the holy place. When you get to the holy place, the very first thing that you're going to find in the holy place. Am I okay with time? Can I just take a few more minutes? I know it seems dark outside. It's just, it ain't any later than it usually is. It's just, the sun is going down now, right? 
I know, less light. So what? Amen. The football game is not even televised tonight unless you have the NFL network. So I don't have the NFL. I have to go to Applebee's to follow it. Okay. The first thing that you're going to find is you're going to find the table of showbread. The table of showbread is made of acacia wood and gold. And the bread is made of fine flour. And you'll discover that the thing about the table of showbread is that the acacia wood and the gold represent Christ. And the bread upon it represent the humanity of Christ. And when you get to the table of showbread, you'll find out that the table of showbread was set in order. And you'll see that it was specifically laid there in place so that the children of Israel could worship and come to it. But the thing about it is, is it is set in order. The showbread represented worshiping Christ in order. There is something to be said about having things that are in order. There has to be, uh, when you come to the table of showbread and you come to the living Christ, you'll start to see that in the outer, in the inner court, it no longer becomes about worshiping and what Jesus has did for you. It becomes about Jesus. Things start to focus off of us and they start to focus back on the living God. And then the next thing you see next to the table of showbread, after you've come to the orderly worship of Jesus, I don't mean, you know, there has to be some order something. We just can't act how we want. We have to do things decently in order. The Bible says it. Paul said he got to the Colossian church. And he said that I was very happy because I beheld your order. It wasn't just a free-for-all. People weren't just hanging off the chandeliers. Amen. You can't worship God when people hang in from the chandelier by their ankles. Right? Then you get to the candle of the candlestick. You'll find that the candlestick, what it represents, is that it was a representation of perfect light, seven different candlesticks, representation of perfect different light, and inside of it there was oil. And the oil was causing the light to shine. And the oil represents the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So without getting long into this, because it's getting late, you'll see that the candlestick represented the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And when the light lit, it lit the candlestick, it lit the table of showbread, and it lit the tabernacle. Which simply meant that when you get into the inner court, you are now worshiping Christ, and it is through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that you are worshiping Christ. And so when you start getting into the inner court, you go from playing your own music and doing your own songs and singing songs that are given to you by your favorite worship band to now being led and directed by the Holy Spirit in this time of worship in the inner court. This is the place where it's appropriate. You know you're getting into that inner court when you go from singing what the popular people sing to having your own song. You start singing the Spirit. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. And here's the thing. Here's the thing now. A lot of times this will happen at the end of worship. Where then all of a sudden all the music is done and you finally give the opportunity for someone just to sing in the Spirit. And the lead person is singing in the Holy Ghost. And the church is electric. And they're singing in the Spirit. But this is just the outer court. Or the inner court, excuse me. You're singing spontaneously led by the Holy Spirit. Let this go on for a while. We cut it short sometimes. We just say, okay, now we get to the preaching of the Word. No, no, no. Let the worship go on for a while. Why? Because after you get to this, the next thing that you're going to be brought into is the Holy of Holies. And I'm not going to go long into this, but when you get into the Holy of Holies, you no longer are focused on what Jesus did for you. You no longer, you have been directed by the Holy Spirit into the most holy place. And you are now in the most holy place. And what you're going to do is you are going to reverence and adore and worship Almighty God. 
You're not thinking about anything other than I worship you and you have a revelation and a respect and an honor. And do you know what happens as a result of it? The presence of God comes. But do you see how it was a gradual procession to it? I just gave you the tabernacle in 10 minutes. A gradual procession into that. I challenge you this week. Go before God. Clean yourself up. Talk about what Jesus did for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sing your song about what Jesus did for you. And you know what will start happening when you get sanctified, when you feel you're set apart? God will take you into the outer court. That's when you hook up with the Holy Ghost. You say, who are, who are you? I'm the Holy Spirit. And what are you supposed to do here? Well, I'm going to teach you how to worship Jesus. Why? Because you don't know how to worship Jesus. If I let you go in there, you're going to die. He's going to reject you. I'm going to show you how to worship Him the way He likes. Why? Because I want you to have favor with God. Really? Yeah, this is what He likes. Sing this to Him. You get a song in your heart. I worship you, Jesus. I praise you. How many of you have ever gotten a song from the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. It wasn't your song. It wasn't Hill's song. It wasn't their song. It was God's song. Write it down because it is pleasing to your king. And all of a sudden you get into the presence of God. And there he is. And there's your answer. And there's your joy that sustains you for Christian living. Did you enjoy this tonight? Let's stand to our feet. That wasn't even an hour. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.